That's our focus, access to care. That's the most important. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Connecting ALS. I am Jeremy Holden, joined as always by my co-host, Jessica Chapman. Uh, Jessica, nice to see you as always. How's your week off so far? Jeremy, it's always good to see you. It's been a great week. It's actually flown by. I can't believe we're already this far into it, but here we are, just enjoying the last days of summer, as I think so many are. Yeah, we're through the dog days of summer, as they say. It means a lot of folks can start looking for some relief from the heat. And I think even more important, uh, I, for one, am looking for some relief from this COVID Delta variant, Jessica, uh, all over mm. my newsfeed. Uh, but that relief could be coming soon The uh, in the form of COVID vaccine booster shots. The Department of Health and Human Services recently announcing plans to offer booster shots beginning the week of September 20th. And we can share a link to the latest from CDC in the show notes. But Jessica, this is a week that we are all about optimizing care on the path to making ALS a livable disease. You're right, exactly. And with that, we had a chance to chat with Lori Banker-Horner, the Director of Clinical Programs with the ALS Association, where we got an opportunity to dive into a new partnership with the VA. Now, Lori notes in our conversation that much of this work was already occurring organically, but this has allowed us to really formalize what we're doing in partnership together. As most people may not know, veterans are more likely to be diagnosed with ALS than non-veterans. So therefore, increasing the number of Veterans Health Administration Clinics, also called VHA, that are designated as either a Certified Treatment Center of Excellence or Recognized Treatment Center is imperative. And so we're going to work together to make veterans aware of ALS Association chapters and the programs and services they offer, help educate VHA staff on best practices, we're going to create educational materials for veterans, and we're going to provide all these stakeholders with opportunities to become more involved in their community and advocate for those who are affected by ALS. Yeah, very exciting partnership. Uh, as you note, um, getting uh, more of these veterans health centers certified as um, certified treatment centers, recognized treatment centers, so important as we know that level of multidisciplinary care, best practice multidisciplinary care has been shown to uh, extend lives uh, and improve quality of life. So part and parcel with the work of making ALS a livable disease. But with that in mind, why don't we get out of the way and we can hear directly from Lori. Lori, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, we're very excited to have this conversation. Some big news that uh, some folks listening in at home might have heard, but the uh, ALS Association and the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs recently announced a new partnership to increase the number of Veterans Health Administration Clinics that are designated as Certified Treatment Centers of Excellence and Recognized Treatment Centers. Quite a mouthful. Before we get into the partnership, though, and I do want to get into that, can you start us off with a top-level view of the ALS Association's clinic program? Oh, certainly. Um, the program itself uh, actually began in 1989. I mean, believe it or not, the association was uh, just established in 1985, so that gives you some sort of perspective there. Been around for a little bit. <laughs> long time, long time. The association, along with uh, neurologists that were treating ALS patients, got together and developed the first certified center program, if you will. That was based on um, multidisciplinary care 
And that grew for a period of time. Actually, as years went on, the uh, American Academy of Neurology practice parameters were established and the, the clinic program just grew and was based on those standards of care. And that is, those are the best practices for multidisciplinary care for ALS patients. The program itself grew over a period of time and then in 2013 went through a complete review. Prior to 2013, there was only a certified center designation. Um, it was, again, all based on multidisciplinary care, which I'll get into a little bit. But in 2013, uh, there were uh, medical directors from uh, previously certified centers, other healthcare professionals, along with individuals from chapters and from the association that, that worked together to, to do this review. And out of that came um, the Recognized Treatment Center program. So they looked at all, you know, all the different components, all the eligibility uh, criteria, and really felt that the certified centers uh, required research to be done. But then there was this other group of clinics that provided really great multidisciplinary care, had all the components, but for some reason or other could not provide or could not conduct research. So, but they felt that that, that it was worth formalizing a designation for those clinics because they provided access to care. So um, the recognized treatment centers were born. <laughs> so um, at that point in time, uh, you, we were at probably 34 centers and then the ice bucket challenge hit and everything yeah. changed after that. Everything, yeah. <laughs> and with this unbelievable influx of financial support, that increased access to care by being able to support more clinics. And so pre-Ice Bucket Challenge, about 34 clinics, post-Ice Bucket Challenge, as we sit today, we are at 94, which is 73 certified and uh, 21 recognized treatment centers. It's just and astounding all to think about that growth. Well, and it just, it's an amazing thing when you see our centers are so robust, so they're providing the highest standard of care. Again, this multidisciplinary care um, has evidence-based that it not only increases quality of life for patients, but also extends their life expectancy. And um, it's the number of patients that are being able to take part in that is uh, tremendous. And we want, then that's, that's our focus, access to care. That's the most important. Lori, thank you. And yes, that is remarkable. So touching on that point around how we've seen a lot of growth in recent years since the Ice Bucket Challenge in our multidisciplinary clinic network, how does the VA partnership that's recent build on that growth? The care of our veterans with ALS is key. You know, as we know, veterans for there's not a known specific reason at this point, but veterans are more, more likely to be diagnosed with ALS. And it is imperative that they get that they have access to the multidisciplinary care throughout the Veterans uh, Health Administration. This we currently um, we currently have six certified treatment centers of excellence that are VA clinics and three recognized treatment centers, with several in process right now, which I'm happy to say. With this partnership, we're looking at increasing awareness of what the ALS Association can do for individuals living with ALS 
and what the VA, what we can do together. And so it'll be a very good, a very good formal, we're, we've had a relationship, but now it's formalized. And now we can re increase awareness and really take it to the next level and increase that network of uh, services, as well as educate uh, VA clinics st or VA staff in general, so that they know uh, better to send, if there's an ALS patient that they're seeing, send them to a chapter or they're aware of our programs and services that we can offer. Yeah, and I want to follow up on that, the program and services. How does the relationship between the association and the centers work? W what is it that the association does when we say supporting clinical care? What, what does that actually look like on the ground? Multiple ways. <laughs> and actually, it's it's really key to the whole program itself is the chapter clinic relationship or the association clinic relationship, if you will. The association is actually an integral part of the um, the clinic team. So not only are they, they, there's a chapter liaison that is actually in clinic and seeing the patients with the multidisciplinary team and that relationship uh, and providing connecting the chapters, programs, and services, not only with the patient and the family, but also educating the clinic team and others about what they can, what they are able to utilize. There's so much that goes on, not only on that clinic day, but also in between clinic visits, that that is a, is a continuity of care that exists because of that relationship is huge. And then of course, you know, the, uh, the liaison will bring those programs and services into the clinic via, you know, for instance, uh, the equipment loan programs, uh, assistive technology loan programs, connecting people to support groups and other resource groups, and as well as um, chapter or annual grants are given to these clinics that have the formal designation to help with direct operating expenses of the clinic and the clinic team. And that comes from the national office as well as some chapters directly. Lori, kind of going more in depth around our relationship, the association's relationship rather with clinics, I wanna ask you about how the interactions with clinics over how we interacted, how we overcame some of the challenges of COVID that the ALS community, the organization and our clinics all experienced in 2020 and even on as we continue in 2021. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Well, COVID provided so many challenges and it was really impressive for lack of a better word to see how the clinics met that, those challenges. Many clinics did not have the infrastructure for telemedicine or telehealth and yet they stepped up to make sure that they were able to continue care for those, um, their patients. Um, and that, that was a struggle um, in the beginning and people were unsure how that would look because they weren't able to do that prior. There wasn't, there wasn't uh, funding for that or reimbursement through insurance. And so this was a different animal, but they were innovative. The clinic team members that maybe were a little shy about doing this before, because of course it's a change. It's a very quick change, uh, stepped up and were able to do these things. Uh, and this is going to go forward. This is going to continue uh, going into our, our future. It's not going away. We know that It'll probably be somewhat of a hybrid, um, you know, being able to use it, uh, seeing patients in person and, um, and virtually. 
but the chapters were able to do that as well. And uh, I think we've talked about that prior with support groups and other programs, home visits and that sort of thing. So that, that continuity of care that was not lost. Um, and that was very important. Yeah, and it strikes me that we, we've heard from folks how the use of telemedicine, the use of virtual technology capabilities also allowed uh, clinicians to reach people further away than you think of their footprint being. It's going to be fascinating to watch that develop going forward. Lori, uh, as part of the association's goal to make ALS a livable disease, a key to that is optimizing care. Can you talk to us a little bit about the role that clinics can play and will play going forward, whether it's in um, reducing harms, reducing the negative effects, preventing cases, all of the things that go into making ALS a livable disease? What, what, what's the clinic's role in that? I think without a doubt, the clinics play a pivotal primary role. The multidisciplinary care does just that. You're looking at a team of professionals that work together with, you know, surrounding that person living with ALS and their family and their specialties are, are, are really looking at developing a plan of care with the physician around them to primarily avoid any kind of falls. Physical therapists will work with them to make sure they're safe uh, and their, their mobility is not a risk for falls and that sort of thing. A respiratory therapist making sure to, you know, prevent pneumonia and 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 other issues with respiratory care. Uh, occupational therapy continuing to be able to do daily care or also working with the caregivers to ensure that caregivers are still able to do what they need to do. You have the dietitian and the speech language pathologist that are working to ensure that people are. Uh, receive the proper nutrition and are not having some issues that uh, with swallowing and they can maintain. All of these people work together to come up with the plan, the plan of care to ensure that the person has the highest quality of life. And as I said before, you know, it's, it's evidence-based that, you know, this multidisciplinary care adds to the quality of life as well as extends life expectancy. And that is through preventing harm to be able to have interventions and, and educate the patients and the families on those interventions at the time that's needed, but also before, so that they have that um, at the time when it's needed. So I think it's such a complicated disease and it requires a lot, everybody working together to come up with that plan of care. Lori, well put, it is an incredibly complicated and complex disease. Similar, you know, it also can be difficult to navigate through the clinic network if you're not familiar. So for listeners at home, if, how can they connect with a clinic near them if they're not already affiliated with a clinic? Definitely, they can contact their local chapter. I mean, that chapter is the key to uh, their clinics to be able to navigate and facilitate uh, a connection with the clinics and just the information on the clinics that are available to them. If there's not, if you're not familiar with a local chapter um, or you don't know, our website is a, a great resource, um, als.org, where you can find the full list of um, chapters near you as well as clinics um, in, in your vicinity. Also, we have our resource line. If, if somebody would prefer to call and talk to a real person on the phone, they can call our resource line, and that's 800-782-4747. That would be a real person in real time. Uh, but there's several ways to do that. 
And we'll be sure to share all of those resources in the show notes for listeners as well. Uh, but yeah, so much work going on to get more people diagnosed with ALS into the, that clinical setting as soon as possible. Lori, before we let you go, uh, any closing thoughts about the new partnership with the VA and the uh, future of the clinic program that, that you want to share with listeners? Well, the the partnership with the VA was really a labor of love, if you will, over the last year. Um, you know, we, we started out, it was a great time to get to know the people that we worked with at the VA and realized the strong commitment they have to veterans living with ALS. And I just really appreciate, and I don't know if I can mention their names, but I really appreciate the people that we worked with. If that's, we worked with uh, Dr. Cheryl Martini, who is the acting national director of neurology at the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs in Texas. Dr. Dominic Fee from the Milwaukee VA medical director there, um, Ileana Howard. Um, she's the medical director at the Puget Sound VA in Washington. And then uh, Hunid Patwal, who is the uh, director, medical director of the uh, Connecticut VA. And we also worked uh, with Mike Flanagan, who was a great legal consultant and helped us figure out those ins and outs. But all these people together we're excited about where we're going to go. This is a partnership that was developed, but we know we're going to be moving forward and doing some great things together. It's exciting to hear that. And we always like to hear about those partnerships forming and kind of everybody kind of swimming in the same direction. So uh, nice to hear that anecdote. Uh, Lori, thanks so much for your time this week. Oh, thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Lori, for your time and expertise. Undoubtedly, this information you shared today is going to be beneficial to so many who have been affected by ALS. And Jeremy, I'm sure you'll note that we'll definitely have more information about our certified treatment centers of excellence and recognized centers in our show notes for our listeners. Absolutely ways for uh, folks listening at home to find the center nearest to them. Um, we're going to be having a lot of discussions in the coming weeks uh, and months uh, about telehealth and the work to expand access to that and how that plays into efforts to expand access to the multidisciplinary care centers. And uh, maybe hearing from Lori again down the road about some exciting ways that uh, we'll be using telemedicine, someone on the back end in, in the work to um, get best practices to most people, you know, wherever they are and wherever they need care. That is going to do it for this week's episode. Please find an opportunity to rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. It is a great way for us to find new listeners and connect with even more people. This week's episode was produced by Garrett Tiedemann of the ALS Association's Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota chapter. Thanks for tuning in. We will connect with you again soon.